Hey, Nick, how's it going? How are you doing today? Happy to get back into uh, interviewing people again. What was the cr- hands down? What was the craziest rigor mortis show you ever performed at? Like uh, you were in rigor gotcha. mortis from '88 to '91. Can you throw out some mis- insane misadventures these guys had when you were hitting up horror movies? Um, oh, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, I, I seem to be able to remember everything. <laughs> you know, I, I have a memory that will not fail me. So I can remember everything that happened over the years. It's crazy. Uh, I remember one time um, we played uh, one of the one of the funniest moments I remember with the band was we were playing in Austin, um, South by Southwest. Yeah. And the band that was opening for us brought us a gift for let it, for for having them open for us. They were the skate nigs. <laughs> they brought us a gift of a mason jar filled with grease from the refrig from their refrigerator from like old hamburger drippings bacon oh, drippings. Man. you know how people used to keep those jars of grease in their refrigerator well they had saved one up and it was filled to the top they brought it to us as our yeah, gift right. <laughs> they brought it as the gift for opening for us so it sat backstage all night in texas and got hot and and liquefied and turned into like watery type stuff so after our show, some fans come back there to meet us, right? And yeah. one of them, and they, there's a whole bunch of people there, and one of them says, what is this? And somebody in the crowd just says, it's some moonshine that the guys in Rigor Mortis made. And three guys stood there and downed the entire bottle of mason jar of grease right in front of us. Yeah. I, I can't even remember what happened after that. I just kind of remember the event. Um, once with rigor mortis, I almost died in Mexico City after having um, amoebas introduced into my bloodstream somehow. I remember throwing up, um, throwing up on very um, affluent gentlemen in white suits that were promoters of the show. <laughs> they washed me out with 80-something bottles of Coca-Cola bottled water over the night. And um, I, it hit me during the first, we had, it was a two-day festival down there. It hit me during the first set, and um, I had gotten into some orange aid that a roadie gave me, and it made me so sick, almost died. Fell off the side of the stage, the end of the show, almost died that night, but I played the show the next day. The crowd went in totally insane. The, uh, the promoter came on stage and said, hey, man, this guy's going to play, but he almost died last night, and the crowd went totally insane. I mean, it was like... An unbelievable show. One of the first times I could actually see the wall of death. And this was like back in, uh, you know, 89. So that was very cool. <laughs> Great memories now, like, of Now, Doyle, like, tell me about yourself. Like, what bands are you a part of right now? And like a short intro on yourself. Okay, cool. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm still with Hallow's Eve. Me and Stacy are, you know, he's just um got it kind of on hiatus right now. But... Hallow's Eve will hopefully put out at least one more album in the future. I'm with SOG right now, my new band, the Special Ops Group, SOG, S-O-G. And uh, myself, you know, I um, I was living in Atlanta in 88. Um, my band opened for Motorhead one night. I gave my punk band's demo to their road manager. Somehow it made it across the country to Capitol. Um, I got signed to Capitol. Went in with, for rigor mortis. So it's been rigor mortis, uh, Hallow's Eve, and now SOG. 
You think um, How Is Evil maybe record an album, say, 2016, 2017? We're hoping to. Me and Stacy are always talking about it, and I'm always poking him with needles and pins to try to get him to do this. He's just, he has another life going right now, you know, and it's not his main, main concern. Um, that's one of the reasons I went ahead and put song together so we could start taking all the Hallow's Eve shows that I'm still getting offers for. Because <laughs> I want to play, man. And uh, so hopefully we will put out one more Hallow's Eve album next year or 17. And, uh, you know, there may be some shows someday. Who knows? I mean, Stacy is the voice of Hallow's Eve. He's the founder of the band. I'm his right-hand man, and that's fine with me, you know. And uh, I do my own other things so I can... I can have my own other things, too, you know. So, therefore, Sog comes to life. Now, tell me how the group of musicians and Sog came together. How do you find these people? Here's the deal. I have only old-school Atlanta fixture musicians playing in this band that have been locally famous for, you know, two decades in Atlanta for playing in metal bands. I zeroed in only on Atlanta musicians for this band because I am... uh, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of like waiting around in a business that I don't really even claim to be a part of anymore. You know, I, I like, I like making music and I like, you know, participating in all the events and everything that goes on, but I don't really want to be uh, a slave to it anymore. You know, so um, it's just, it's mainly for my, my entertainment for me right now. I've been entertaining the world for a long time, and it's like, you know, I'm I'm ready to entertain myself with it now. So now my entertainment for them is actually the entertainment I receive from me. So I love that. There was a song on the Rigor Mortis vs. the Earth album called Sog. Is that where you came up with the name for the band? It's not, but it helped. (laughs) I mean, we were leaving uh, practice one night many years ago in like early, early 89. And um, (laughs) here's the story behind that. There was a Christian band across the hall from Rigor Mortis um, where they practiced, and their name was Son of God. (laughs) And uh, Casey came back the next day (laughs) with the song Sog. <laughs> about uh, about you know uh, zombies, and uh, so they're sat for for twenty twenty five years, and you know there's like there's always also been the special ops groups since the forties and fifties to deal with you know the military and all of this kind of stuff, and there are all sorts of SOG organizations out there, but there's never been a SOG metal organization. So I kind of like started thinking about it all, and I was like, you know what, this would be a great way to pay homage to my my old band that I still love all the guys in so much. We're all still brothers. Um, and, and also to bring a strong metal organization onto the face of the earth. So that's basically where the name came from. Song, I mean, you can interpret it as you will. It can be special ops groups, some old guys, you know, seniors on Geritol. It doesn't matter to me. It's just, uh, as long as people like it, that's what matters. Now, you released your debut album, The Gift of Aggression, earlier this year. Can you tell me about like the recording setup and lineup you used to record this release? Absolutely. I had Dave Jackson on drums, local um, Atlanta musician, forever and ever. Um, Dave cannot tour, so he just he, he played on the album for me, which I asked him to do. You know, uh, I knew he was not going to be my 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 show drummer, 
but I wanted him to play on this album for me, so I got him. I also like um, Scott Waldrop, longtime Atlanta musician and in a couple of other famous bands. I lined him up. I wanted all local guys for this and that I had known for many, many, many years. I have a drummer right now that's joined the band just last week. His name is Kelly Sanford. He was playing with me in the band I was playing in when I got signed to Capitol in 88. So he's in Saab, and he's a fantastic drummer. We'll actually be recording another album in February. So it'll be out, it'll be out by summer, too. There won't be a long wait. It'll be right out. I own the label that it's on, so bam, I'll put it right out. Excellent. Now, like, um, did you do this at, like, one of your, or one of the band's, like, home recording studios? This thing is recorded on a Roland, what is that, uh, Roland 2400 CD uh, digital board. It's actually recorded in a home studio, yep. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a fairly simple process we use, man. I, um, I come up with the songs. I, I, I lay down a beat in the drums from hell program, put the song down on the, on the post-production board. Then we go up to Lead Belly Studios with Matt Washburn and record up there. So all the songs are done post-production here in my studio. Then we go up there to Lead Belly to record the songs, which we'll be recording out again in uh, February. Now, what was the most difficult as well as the most easy song on the album to record? And, like, why was that? Here's the deal. The songs on the album is with all of my songs, and, and I think this is the same with any musician or band. If you practice a song or a riff or anything long enough and hard enough, it becomes native to you. It becomes easy to you. Well, other people haven't done that same thing so, that, so long, so they look at it and they say, wow, that's fucking great. You know? Well, it's only because you've been practicing the riff over and over and over again. So that's the same with this process that I use here, and uh, go at me again one more time with the question there. Um, well, I mean, it's just like saying, you know, like, what was the easiest? Oh, yeah. as, well, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all easy because the riffs are native to us. Yeah, the, the riffs are native to us. Um, it's an it's a easy recording process I use. It's, it's, I, I, I like a raw sound. I like it to sound like the band is, like, playing in front of you. I hate an overproduced sound. So it's um, easy tracks. There are um, four guitar tracks on the album. <laughs> Two guitar players split in stereo, me and Alan Strange. Oh, Alan Strange, my guitar player. Um, he's from Atlanta. He plays also in his own band called Prime Mover, who's been a, a major force in Atlanta for over a decade at least. And uh, I lined him up for the album. He came in and laid down his guitar tracks. Unbelievably perfect. I mean, many of his tracks were one-take deals, no punch-ins. He's totally awesome. Uh, and, and that rounds out the band for right now. You know, the recording process for these songs was fairly easy. I mean, uh, you know, I write the songs on a, uh, like I said, on a post-production machine, give the rough ideas to the band. We go into the rehearsal room, we learn them, then we go record them. Tell me about how, like, your band typically comes up with a new song, and, like, who are the main songwriters? I'm writing the music for this group. 
Um, Scott Waldrop, my bass player, is partially writing lyrics for the band. Once I come up with the main riff, I mean, once we get together into the practice room and I come up with a song and put it down for the guys to listen to, if they like it and we consider it a, a, a doable song, then we'll go into the practice room and we'll learn it. Then we'll go record it. And that's our recording process. Um, in recording, I use ambient drums and triggers. I'll mix them both together, you know, like everybody does nowadays. Straight, raw guitar sounds, no effect on the vocals. It may sound like there's distortion on the vocals. There is no distortion effects on the vocals. It is my real voice. There are no reverb. Uh, maybe a tiny little bit of delay here and there, but that's it. Now, how did this song, I've Got an Axe to Grind, come together? Here's the deal with this song. I love the movie The Shining. And I've become like... um just very intrigued over the fact that there are 211 subliminal messages implanted in that movie by Kubrick when he was making it. And um, there are people that have devoted their entire careers and lives now to picking this movie apart and finding out all the subliminal messages in this movie. So, so when I found that out, I had already always been a fan of the movie for all of my life. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to... Uh, in the beginning, we were calling it Here's Johnny. You know, then we started thinking, you know, it was just a working title. Then we were, my bass player started joking about Johnny Carson at night when we'd start playing the song. So I was like, you know what, you're right. It's, it's time to change the name of the song. So I just flipped it around. and um, So it wouldn't be quite so obvious, but it's still there. And there are direct, um, <laughs> there are direct quotes from the, from the movie lines in the song. I mean, I plagiarized the hell out of it. And the people who love the movie will will realize this when they listen to it and they'll, they'll, they'll hear these lines and go, holy shit, that's Jack Nicholson's line right out of the movie. So that was fun. All of these songs are either uh, science fiction, horror movie, or tongue-in-cheek. There's no religion. There's no religious value to any of them. There's, uh, there's no politics. Uh, so it's just, it's just metal, you know, with no really hidden messages of any kind. <laughs> now, what are you trying to say in peace the old-fashioned way? Okay, that song came about, um, like I said, that term has been used for 50, 60, 70 years dealing with war. Um, as, as we found out, and many, many countries found out around the world through time, the only way to deal with, with harshness was harshness. <laughs> you know, so it was like when push came to shove, or as I like to say, when pussy came to shove, it's like, uh, well, here's, here's, your, here's your answer to, to the problem. We have to go to war again. What the fuck? It's a drag, but it happens. So that's where the phrase came from, you know, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, peace. We're going to have to have peace. Well, it's going to have to be done the old-fashioned way. Push has come to shove. There's no more talking. So that's where the idea for that song came about. What's going on in the video, Seconds Till Death? Nothing. <laughs> I wanted nobody playing instruments in that video. I wanted not one instrument in it. That, uh, Like I said in a, another recent interview, that song could uh, mean several different things. Obviously, Seconds Till Death, you know, the moment of. It could be about, uh, you know, drinking too much and dying behind the wheel after midnight. It could be about... Uh, 
too many drugs. It could be about the, 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 the heart attack that just gets you out of the blue, or it could be about, you know, a, 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 a child or a friend dying in your arms. You know, it's just those last few moments. And I recently experienced that a, a, a year and a half ago. So I don't know if that had anything to do with me writing the song, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just what it is. It's, it's seconds till death. It can mean anything you want, you know. Were any of the songs about any true subjects or personal experiences of any of the band members? Uh, let me see. Psychic Surgery is about my brain tumor. Um, Scott wrote the lyrics to that song, Scott Waldrop. Um, we, you know, we, we joke about this tumor because it should have killed me 10 years ago, but for some miraculous reason, I'm still alive. And I always say, hey, save the miracles for the kids. But man, I'm living one right now and I'm still alive. So Scott came up with that song, you know, he was one day, he was like, you know, what about the, these healers that try to do the psychic surgery and claim they're taking the tumors out of people and everything? And he was like, you know, how about a song? I was like, fucking yes. He goes, guess what? I've got the lyrics for it already. <laughs> so he gave me the lyrics and I was like, holy shit. I worked them around a little bit, added a few things of my own here and there, twisted them around, wrote the music for it, and bam, there's psychic surgery. We're going to have a video for that song. And... Stacey Anderson from Hallow's Eve will be appearing in that video, not singing, but he will be appearing in that video as the doctor. <laughs> so we're going to have fun doing that. Or I should say the healer. <laughs> now for SOG, like what songs in your live set get like your crowd fired up the most? People seem to, you know, it's, it's a slower song a little bit at parts, but people seem to really love All Gods and Robots. It's a, it's a more of an outdoor festival type song, but it really, it really works. Um, every song is just a punch in the face. So it's like there is no real, uh, there's no singing going on on this album. There are just riffs that, that, that keep you going. So I, I get, like, good responses on all of these songs. Another thing, too, I don't waste time in between songs to try to hear crowd responses. They came to see me play and punch in the face. So I'll talk to them. I play, and the songs are a punch in the face, one right after the other. We will be doing a couple of, um, we're going to, uh, on some shows in 2016, we're going to do a Rigor Mortis tribute song and a uh, Hallow's Eve tribute song in the set. So those two songs will be added in. Probably uh, Dead Fish by Rigor Mortis and Speed Freak by uh, Hallow's Eve. Where do you foresee per performing in first? The East or the West? Well, it's already started in the, it seemed to have started in Texas. Um, things pulled me back there. You know, I, I received the Metal Icon Award back in July out in Houston, and they asked me to go ahead and have the band play for the ceremony. So it was actually Sog's first, first, and I won't really call it a gig because it was more of an award ceremony, you know. But um, they had us, Star, Aska. There were a lot of, lot of you know, Texas, Texas legends there, and... Um, I received an award out there for the Texas Icon Award, and Saab played our first show. Uh, it was just a 20-minute set. Started in Texas. Our second show was, uh, which is really our, our official first show because the first one was just the ceremony. Um, 
The second one was the FTA Open Air Festival in Illinois last month, and uh, it was killer. There was a Dallas show scheduled for the 20th of November, but it has been canceled um, due to some stuff going on out in Texas. So right now we're going to go in and start recording the new album in December and uh, should be finished by February. Uh, we do have a show lined up, uh, the Open Air, Midwest Open Air Festival for spring next year, and we are also doing the FTA Open Air Festival again in the spring next year. There will be some more shows added in between here and there, but I'm not, I'm not you know, busting a nut to go out and, and go on tour or anything like that. I don't really care that much about it anymore, but I do like to play great shows. Whether they be small or big, that doesn't matter. If it's a great show, it's a great show. Even if it's for 100 people in a special place, then that's a great show. If it's for 50,000, then that's a great show, too. What were your favorite memories from the FTA? Uh, gee, honestly, uh, walking the grounds. Walking the grounds, honestly, a lot by myself. Um, I hike a lot. I hike almost every day four to five miles. You know, on a good day, 14 miles. So, obviously, entertaining was fun. Uh, camping with the band for a night was a great thing. That was something I um, I usually have I've played these festivals, but I have to leave them right afterwards. I never get to really hang around and camp out and be a part of the festival crowd after the show. So we did that, and that was fun. Um you know, it was a good time. It was a great time. The guys that put on the festival, man, it was A1. Um, FTA guys, Dave Hannon, the rest of them, Joey B, they know their stuff. It was a great time, and um, I, I anticipate that festival only getting bigger and better now as the years go by because the first one was an absolute success, and they did such a great job. Now, what's the score with Hallow's Eve these days? What do you mean? Or did we already go into that? Oh, no, go ahead. Now, what do you mean, detail? I guess just, um, when do you figure, like, you guys are going to get uh, back gotcha. behind the wheel? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, you know, Hallow's Eve is, is now on our own label, Hallow's Eve Media. And that's the same label Sog is on. I own the label. Um, it's really, like I said, it's all up to Stacy. Tommy is uh, playing in his new band here in Atlanta, Bloody Gears. Um, Chris Abamante from, from Hallow's Eve is playing guitar for Tommy and his band. So they're doing that here in Atlanta right now. Uh, we're, Hallow's Eve, you know, has had like 30 different drummers. So <laughs> whenever we decide to play, we will grab a drummer, and he will be good. It's all going to depend on when Stacy wants to, to do it again. You know, he's comfortable in, in what he's doing right now. He's not bothered by the fact that he's not doing Hallow's Eve right now. He is a vocalist for Hallow's Eve, the one and only, and always will be the voice of Hallow's Eve. It's his band. You know, so um, I'm just I'm just happy to be involved in it with him. And, and uh, you know, it'll, Hallow's Eve will, will be there until Stacy decides to make another record. And he will. He tells me he will. It's just a matter of, when he's ready. I have music already for that already. Uh, it's been written. I keep writing for Hallow's Eve all the time. So um, things are in place. When we get together, it will more likely be Tommy, you know, original Tommy Stewart, Stacy, me, 
Um, we will grab another drummer, and we will probably incorporate uh, Chris Abramante, the other Hallowed guitarist, um, into the mix again. So it'll be as much close to the original combination as possible. How did Hollow's Eve get onto soundtracks like, say, Pacific Heights and the River's Edge with Lethal Tendencies? You know how that happened? Lethal Tendencies was um, Dennis Hopper's favorite song. That's how it got in both those movies. It was his favorite metal song in the world. So he put it in uh, River's Edge, and then through his influence, it got worked into Pacific Heights as well. What other metal was he into? I have no idea. But I assume him being into Hallow's Eve, that he liked to listen to some sorts of other metal. Damn, that's awesome. We never talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get to meet him or anything? Many years ago, in, uh, many years ago out in California, yes. Wonderful man. At a dinner, at some kind of a dinner, we were, there were many people at a dinner. Um, uh, I believe it was, uh, it may have been a birthday for a Hollywood mogul, I can't remember, but we were all at a dinner. And totally cool guy. Hands down, what was the craziest rigor mortis show you ever performed at? I would probably say, actually, it would have been maybe in Dallas, Texas, at the basement, believe it or not. Um, after, after the show, the club refused to serve any more alcohol to the band. <laughs> it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. Crowd had already all, all thinned out just about. Uh, Mike didn't like the fact that they were, we, they were shut down on alcohol. I didn't drink anyway, but the rest of the band was shut down. No more. Mike took his shot glass and threw it as hard as he could across the bar and hit the club owner right in the middle of the forehead with the shot glass. At that point, wow. all of the bouncers from the club jump in. And at that point, basically, rigor mortis beats the fuck out of every bouncer in the club and has them on the ground begging to stop beating them. So, once again, I got out of the back door of the club into a car real quick and split with my favorite chick driver, and I didn't get in any trouble. <laughs> but it was a good time. <laughs> crazy time. Can you throw out some of the crazy misadventures you guys had when you were hitting up horror movies? And, and what do you mean Exactly. Um, it's just like, you guys used to hit up, like, horror movies in the theaters, right? Or you're mostly, oh, yeah. like, raiding, like, the video stores and coming back with, like, 50 Absolutely, zombies. man. Listen, we would go to video stores, and I remember coming home with, like, honestly, crates of old B-horror movies. And me and Casey just sitting around the apartment when we lived together. Or when me and Mike lived together, just sitting around the apartment watching these movies and, and, and practicing while they were playing. The volume would be down. We'd be practicing. The volume would be up. We'd be practicing. Just watching. That was our thing, you know. We liked to watch those B-horror movies. So the, everybody in the band had hundreds and hundreds of them, especially Casey, the prime collector of them all. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, yesterday I found some old rigor mortis footage. I found my first show with rigor mortis on VHS tape. I found uh, some other shows from out west somewhere. I also found some old footage of me and Mike in our apartment when he had a can of fart spray that I had found on the road somewhere. 
and he's spraying it, spraying it on Rudy's pizzas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Damn>. So, uh, <laughs> just crazy fun, good times. I mean, we were all just young men, you know. We all, all we knew was we wanted to uh, be great guitar players and musicians. Were you guys into um, ever getting laser discs or anything like that back then? No, never were. Um, okay. You know, and, and one of the reasons being, I mean, it, it, it all comes back really to capital. Um, there were there and MTV, believe it or not, there were two, two um, entertaining sources, if, if I can say it that way, um, that were banned from MTV in the beginning. One was Andrew Dice Clay. The second was Rigor Mortis. Banned from MTV. Whoever was running MTV at the time announced they will never put out anything from Andrew Dice Clay or Rigor Mortis on MTV. So at that point, Capital shut the wheel down. I was like, well, there's no use in making a video. There's no use in making laser. Everything, the production just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like there was no more money being put into the thing. Capital eventually bought all the songs out from under Mike, so boom, we moved on. So no, no laser discs, nothing like that from that time era. They're not aware of unless somebody bootlegged some and made them up on their own. What the hell happened? Why, why wouldn't they uh, support you guys on MTV? It was at the height of the uh, PMRC hearings with Tipper Gore. Mm. I mean, the height of it. And that's how Rigor Mortis got in People magazine. You know, I remember coming home from a Mex uh, tour in, in uh, Mex Mexico, maybe, and there being a message on my machine from my A&R girl at Capitol saying, you guys, you're in People magazine. You're going to be rich. You're going to be here everything now. This is incredible. Well, well, she was wrong. <laughs> you know, we weren't all going to be rich. Yeah, we were going to be famous from it, but... You know, so that's where it all started. Um, they put us in with NWA. It was rigor mortis and NWA and People Magazine. They zeroed in on both of us. They put us both on Entertainment Tonight with John Tesh and Lisa Gibbons. <laughs> if you remember that show back in the 80s. And boom, that propelled it right to uh, Tipper Gore got a hold of it. I believe, if I recall, Pile Driver was maybe the number one band on the PMRC hit list, and I think Rigor Mortis was number two. It may be vice versa. But at any rate, that's what started the MTV thing, the PMRC hearings, the Tipper Gore outburst, all of that type stuff. Boom. Slow things down. Capital didn't know what to do with a band like Rigor Mortis. Yeah, they wanted to be the first major label to sign a speed metal band, and they were. And Rigor Mortis was the first speed metal band signed to a major label. But Capital did not know what to do with the band, even with all of their great years of of, of what they do. They had not a clue what to do with Rigor Mortis, so they had to hand us over to Metal Blade eventually. Yo, how come you think did? How come you think uh, Rigor Mortis didn't end up in that filthy fifteen list? I'm not sure. I have no idea because we were the ones who were on the in in People magazine with NWA, and we were the ones banned from MTV with Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> so I have no idea. Sometimes shit just happens. Why does, why does Hallow's Eve, as Stacy says, why does Hallow's Eve always get left out of, 
you know, great documentaries and great things like that. We can't figure it out, man. I mean, Alizade yeah. is one of the oldest, you know, thrash metal bands around. People still love Alizade, but for some reason, when you'll see like the top 15 metal bands of thrash metal bands, Alizade won't be there. Sometimes it'll be there, sometimes it won't. It totally agitates Stacy. With me, I'm just like, hey, man, sometimes there's, there's so many... There's so many fragments of everything in the world. Sometimes things just get left out, you know. Thank you. Would you like to go back to any questions? Ah, uh, let's see. We will have a, not really. Um, you know, like I said, Sog will have a new album out at the beginning of next year, 2016. Um, spring, spring, and uh, we'll be doing shows next year. That'll be about it, man. I'm um, I'm I'm living life comfortably and enjoying life, and 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 I'm I'm happy with who I am now. I'm content, and I don't feel the need to push it, you know. So I just do it for enjoyment now, just just for my own enjoyment and for the people's. Final words. Final words, you know, just uh, everybody, you know, enjoy life. We're, we we go fast on this life. It's a, it's a quick ride. One day, boom, you're gone. You don't even know it's coming. So um, the day that I woke up and realized, hey, I don't have to have any ambition, or I don't even have to have any ambition for today. The day I woke up and I was able to shed my ambition off my shoulders as to what society says we should be, then was the greatest day of my life. So I wake up every day with no ambition. I have no expectations for my day. I have no expectations in myself. If I want to write music, I do. If I want to hike, I do. So everybody, you know, live your life like you want. It goes quick and rock on. <laughs> Thank you very much. This has been an interview with Doyle Bright by Nick Perkel on September 27th, 2015. Thanks, Nick.